Chapter Twelve of the Jungle Girl by Gordon Casserly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Rooted in Dishonor. Government House, Ganeshkine, outside Pune, the residence of the Governor of Bombay during the rains, was blazing with light and gay with the sound of music for his excellency was giving a fancy dress ball motors and carriages were still rolling up in a long line to the entrance where the gorgeously clad indian cavalry soldiers of the governor's bodyguard tall and stately black bearded men in long scarlet tunics white breeches and high black boots their heads swathed in gaudy lungis turbans with tails streaming down their backs holding steel-headed bamboo lances with red and white pennons in their white gauntleted right hands lined the approach inside the splendid ballroom ablaze with electric lights was crowded with gaily dressed figures in costumes beautiful or bizarre the good-looking middle-aged baron who was the king's representative in the bombay presidency was standing dressed as charles the second beside his plain but pleasant-featured wife in the garb of amy robsart receiving the last of their guests while already the dancing had begun later in the evening a group of officers in varied costumes stood near one of the entrances criticizing the dresses and the company by george that's a magnificent kit said a garrison gunner just arrived on short leave from bombay what's it supposed to be a polish hussar i think replied a subaltern in wellsey's rifles no he's murat napoleon's cavalry leader said an indian lancer captain the wearer of the costume alluded to was passing them in a waltz he was a young man in a splendid old-time hussar uniform a scarlet dolman thick laced with gold a fur trim slung pelisse tight scarlet breeches embroidered down the front of the thighs in gold and long red russian leather boots with gold tassels he was good-looking but not in an english way and the swarthiness of his complexion and a slight kink in his dark hair seemed to hint a trace of colored blood he was plainly israelite in appearance and the large nose with the unmistakable racial curved nostril would become bulbous with years the firm cheeks flabby and the plump chin double that dress costs some money i bet said the gunner cheaply attired as a parole just look at the gold lace i say he's got glass bottoms glass be hanged fergie they're diamonds real diamonds honor bright murat wore diamonds he was buckin' about them in the club tonight. 
said a captain in a british infantry regiment quartered in puna that's rothensal of the second hussars from bangladore son of the old rothensal of the south african multi-millionaire a sheeny of course who's the woman he's dancing with asked the gunner jolly good-looking she is that's mrs norton wife of a political somewhere in the presidency rosenthal's always in her pocket since he met her at mahabashwar as the dance ended the many couples streamed out of the ballroom and made for the kala jagas the black places as the sitting out spots are appropriately termed in india from the carefully arranged lack of light in them mrs norton looking very lovely as mary queen of scots and her partner crossed the veranda and went out into the unlit garden in search of seats the first few they stumbled on were already occupied a fact that the darkness prevented them from realizing until they almost sat down on the occupants at last in a retired corner of the garden rosenthal found a bench in a recess in the wall as they seated themselves he blurted out roughly i'm sick of all this vi when do you mean to give me your answer i'm damned if i'm going to hang on waiting much longer i'm fed up with india and the army i mean to cut it all well harry what do you want asked his companion smiling in the darkness at his vehemence. what you and you know it i want to take you away from this rotten country what's all this he waved his hand toward the lighted ballroom compared to paris monte carlo cairo austin when the races are on let's go where life is worth living this is stagnation oh i find it amusing you forget we women have a better time in india than in europe there are too many of us there so you don't value us better time oh la what rot he laughed rudely you never lived yet dear look here vi my father's one of the three richest men in south africa and all he's got will come to me some day as it is he gives me an allowance bigger than those of all the other men in the regiment put together i hate the service and its idiotic discipline i want to be free to go where money counts damn india doesn't it count everywhere she asked fanning herself lazily his rough almost boorish manner amused her always she felt as if she were playing with a caged tiger doesn't it here no in the army they seem to think more of some damn pauper who comes of a county family as they call it than of a fellow like me who could buy up a dozen of them i hate them all and i mean to chuck it but i want you to come with me by and 
what's more i mean to have you but your father wishes you to stay in the service you told me so yourself will he like it if you leave and will he continue your allowance oh i'll get round him he's only got me he's no one else to leave his money to it'll be all right vi answer me i mean to get you he grasped her wrist and tried to drag her towards him she laughed and held him off take care my dear boy darkness has ears we're not alone in the garden please remember if you can't behave prettily i'm going back to the ballroom come there's the music beginning again he tried to seize her in his arms but she eluded his grasp with a dexterity that argued practice and rising moved across the grass he followed sulkily dominated by her cool and careless indifference when they reached the veranda one of the government house aides de camp rushed up to her oh mrs norton i've been hunting for you everywhere i've a message from his excellency he wants you to come to his table at supper and save him from the members of council's awful wives oh thanks captain gardner i'll come with pleasure she answered smiling prettily on him an a b c is always worth cultivating i say it is hopeless asking you for a dance now he said we poor devils of the staff don't get a chance at the beginning of the evening as we're so busy introducing people to their excellencies she looked at her program you can have this if you like it's only with some indian civilian in spectacles and i hate the heaven-born they're such bores she smiled and sailed off on the adc's arm to the disgust of rosenthal calmly abandoned but he could not help being amused when a round-faced young man dressed as an ancient greek with gig lamp spectacles rushed up to overtake mrs norton before she entered the ballroom and stopped in dismay to gaze after her open mouth and peer at his program but the hussar drove her back from government house to puna in his particularly luxurious rolls royce with an english chauffeur and would hardly let her go when the car drew up before the door of the munster hotel where she was staying laughing crushed and disheveled she broke from him and jumped out of the automobile ran up the veranda steps and turned to wave to him as the chauffeur started off to take him to his quarters in the club of western india still smiling violet stumbled up the unlighted stairs and reached her sitting room when she turned up the lamp a letter lying on the table caught her eyes she picked it up indifferently but when she saw that it bore the handwriting of one of her calcutta cousins and the darjeeling postmark 
she tore it open eagerly and ran her eye rapidly down the pages she came to the lines i have seen the man you asked me about he is always with a girl called benson rather a pretty little thing she is popular with all the men but mr wargrave seems to be the favorite they are staying at the same hotel and everyone says they are engaged then the writer went on to talk of family matters but violet read no more her eyes flamed with anger as she crumpled the paper flung it on the floor and stamped it underfoot she paced the room angrily tearing the lace handkerchief she held in her hands to shreds this then was frank's loyalty to her this was how he consoled himself for her absence with this chit of a girl with whom he probably laughed at her violet's readiness to give up reputation good fame home for him she almost sobbed with jealous rage at the idea she forgot her own infidelities and want of remembrance and felt herself to be a deceived and much abused woman but she would not bear such treatment meekly frank was hers no other woman had a right to him should ever have him she was resolved on that she stopped and picking up the letter smoothed it out and reread it then frowning she passed into her bedroom and tore off her costume not for an instant did she sleep during the remainder of the night but tossed on her bed revolving plans of vengeance next day she was seated in the train on her way to darjeeling a journey that would take days she had telegraphed fruitlessly for a room at the oriental hotel at which she knew from his letters that frank was staying but she had secured one at the larger eastern palace where her calcutta relatives were residing only on the second day of her journey did she wire to wargrave bidding him meet her on her arrival as the train carried her across india her heart was still filled with anger jealousy and almost hate of the man whom she had favored above all others and who spurned her dared to be faithless to her it seemed she did not know how much love she had left for him for his image had grown dim in the flight of time and among the distractions of gayer stations than rohar certainly she had flirted herself flirted recklessly but that was a different matter to his faithfulness she might do it but he must not did she want him she hardly knew but she was not going to be put aside for this tiger-killing young person this jungle girl who must be taught not to trespass on violet's property then her mind went back to rosenthal and in the solitude of the lady's compartment she laughed aloud at the thought of the shock that his self-sufficiency 
must have received when he learned of her sudden and mysterious disappearance from puna for she had left him no word it would do him good he needed a lesson for he was too sure of her she had never troubled to analyze her feelings for him and did not know whether she liked or hated him most she saw his faults clearly his blatant conceit his irritating belief in the supremacy of money his arrogance his bad manners she knew that men deemed him a blounder but his very boorishness his savage outbreaks against conventionality attracted her under the thin veneer of civilization he was simply an animal she knew it and it appealed to her baser nature the sensual strain in her that he was beast and wild beast at that did not affright her she felt that she could always dominate him when she would once or twice the beast had come out into the open but she had driven it back with a whip and she believed that she could always do it the wealth the life of luxury that he offered appealed to her strongly but she kept her head and remembered that he was dependent on his father's bounty and she had no intention of compromising herself irretrievably under such circumstances if he had the disposal of the old man's immense riches then the temptation might be overpowering but until he had she would wait and ever the memory of wargrave obtruded itself rather to her annoyance but angry as she was with him she could not pretend to herself that she was indifferent to him up in darjeeling on the very day that she left puna frank sat with miss benson under a massive orchid-clad tree in the lovely botanical gardens gazing moodily down into the depths of the valley far below them turning suddenly he found his companion looking at him something in her eyes moved him strongly and he forgot his caution muriel you know how it is with me he said impetuously i oughtn't to say anything but well all the men here run after you and i can't bear it i'm a fool i know but i can't help being jealous i'm always afraid that some one of them will take you from me the other woman seems to be forgetting me completely she hasn't written to me for weeks months surely she's tiring of me i don't suppose she ever really cared for me just was bored in that dull station if if she sets me free would you could you ever like me well enough to marry me the girl looked away over the valley and a little smile crept into her eyes then she turned to him and laid her hand on his dear boy if you were free i would she answered then 
they were all alone no one to see them and his arms went out to her but she drew back not yet dear you're another woman's property still she said he bit his lip yes you're right sweetheart but well even if i weren't i haven't much to offer you i'm still in debt and i'd only be condemning you to pass all your existence in the jungle there'd be no hardship in that dear i love the forest better than anywhere else in the world life in it is happiness to me but would you be content to live as mrs dermot does content i'd love it better than anything else if i were with you then he forgot her reproof and she her high-minded resolves as his arms went around her and he drew her to him until their lips met in a long passionate kiss afterwards they sat hand in hand and talked of what the future would hold for them if only fate were kind and mrs norton speeding across india to shatter their dream world smiled a little grimly as she pictured to herself her meeting with frank next day the blow fell wargrave was sitting at lunch with mrs dermot and muriel in the hotel dining-room when violet's telegram was handed to him his companions could see that he had received bad news but he pulled himself together and said nothing about it until he was alone with mrs dermot in her private sitting-room after tiffin then he exclaimed suddenly handing her the telegram she's on her way here noreen understood even before she looked at the paper when she read the message she asked what's she coming here for i don't know i haven't a letter from her for a long time he replied wearily what are you going to do about her what can i he said with a gesture of despair it's for her to decide if she wishes it i must keep my word but muriel what of her you know she cares for you has she no right to be considered demanded her friend impatiently are you going to ruin her life as well as yours this woman will only drag you down she can't really be fond of you or she wouldn't forget you as she has been doing you don't love her don't you see what it will all mean to you to be pilloried in the divorce court made to pay enormous costs perhaps heavy damages as well and even now you say you're in debt and then to be chained for life to a woman you don't care about while you're in love with another oh mr wargrave do be sensible tell her the truth tell her you can't go on with it i've given her my word he said simply she pleaded with him passionately but to no avail at last as muriel entered the room she rose saying tell her i'll not mention the subject again 
and she walked indignantly into her bedroom and shut the door almost with a bang for the little woman was furious with him for what she deemed his crass stupidity what's the matter with doreen asked the girl in surprise without a word he gave her the telegram oh frank she gasped and sank overwhelmed into a chair letting the fatal paper flutter to the floor he did not go to her but stood by the window the image of despair gazing out with unseeing eyes what am i to do he asked miserably you must keep your word if she wishes it answered the girl bravely but the next moment she broke down and burying her face in her hands wept bitterly he made no move to her and she rose and went quietly back to her own room in the interval that elapsed before violet's arrival mrs dermot did not abandon hope and in spite of her words she attacked wardgrave persistently trying to shake his resolution but to her despair muriel sided with him and declared that he was right so finally noreen gave it up and vowed that she would wash her hands of the whole affair when violet reached darjeeling wargrave met her at the railway station face to face with him her anger died and something of the attraction he had had for her revived so she greeted him effusively and all but embraced him on the platform other men seeing the meeting wondered why he looked so miserable when such a lovely woman evinced her delight at seeing him so plainly she passed her arm through his with an air of possession and chatted volubly while he watched his servant help hers to collect her luggage when she took her seat in the dandy or chair carried on the shoulders of coolies and was being conveyed towards her hotel she behaved as though they had not been parted a week rattled on gaily about her doings in Pune and malabeshwar and with all the glories of the himalayas about her declared that the bombay hill station was far lovelier than darjeeling wargrave was relieved that she showed no desire to be sentimental and gladly responded to her mood detailing the forthcoming gaieties and promising to take her to them all when they reached the eastern palace hotel and were shown up into her private sitting-room she put her hands on his shoulders as soon as they were alone and said let me look at you frank you have improved you've grown handsomer i think aren't you going to kiss me he did it with so little fever that she made a grimace and thought it's quite time that i came to bring him to heel not much loving ardor about that i wonder if he kisses the jungle girl as coldly aloud she said now let's get down to tiffin i'm starving will you please secure a table and i'll follow you in a few minutes 
during the meal she chattered gaily criticized the dresses and appearance of the other women in the dining-room and chafing him merrily on his want of appetite ate a substantial meal herself mrs dermot anxious to befriend him had thought that she could help him by inviting him to bring mrs norton to tea with her that afternoon when during tiffin he hesitatingly conveyed the invitation violet said oh i don't want to be bothered with women my dear boy take me out and show me the place and the shops and the gymkhana what do you call it here oh the amusement club no stop a minute mrs dermot is your dear friend from rangadoire isn't she so she's here and the other the jungle girl where is she frank flushed as he replied i suppose you mean miss benson she's with mrs dermot so you're all staying at the same hotel how very nice for you but my dear frank doesn't it strike you that it'll be rather dull for me staying by myself here you have to change to this hotel i asked about rooms here but they told me they're full up now i'll see if i can't get round the manager and make him find a corner for you well now for this tea party yes on second thoughts i'll go i'd like to see the ladies who've been consoling you for my absence oh nonsense violet they haven't they're just friends that's all he said irritably of course dear i know well tell me what these just friends are like she certainly derived little idea of them from wargrave's lame attempt at description and when later she and he were shown into mrs dermot's sitting-room at tea-time noreen and muriel found his picture of her as a meek long-suffering neglected wife very unlike the radiant condescending lady who patronized them from the start she showed a tendency to address most of the conversation to the girl despite the latter's evident disclination to talk or perhaps because of it for the older woman seemed to take an impish delight in teasing her about her friendship with wargrave and their relations as nurse and patient although it was apparent that her malicious humor made the others uncomfortable she paraded her authority over frank and treated him like a henpecked husband when finally she bore him away to escort her to the amusement club she left the two girls speechless behind her but not for the same reason noreen was furious what a hateful woman she exclaimed as soon as her visitor departed and i pitied her as a poor neglected wife what do you think of her muriel only shook her head as she sat looking despondent and thoroughly miserable mrs norton's malice affected her little but her undoubted loveliness had made her despair how could an insignificant little person like herself she thought 
hoped to win affection from any man whom this radiant beauty deigned to favor frank could not help adoring so attractive a woman he must have loved her in rohar although he said that he had not muriel felt that she could have resigned herself more easily to his keeping his word to violet if the latter had been less good-looking mrs dermot broke in on her miserable thoughts come dear we'll take the children for their walk and then go on later to the amusement club i couldn't go to the club this evening noreen i really couldn't we'd only see that woman again with frank well what of it we're not going to let her think we're afraid to face her i've no patience with mr wargrave whatever he can see in her i can't think you're worth twenty of her darling shallow conceited she neglected she badly treated my sympathy is with her husband now what fools men are and noreen swept indignantly from the room every moment of the hour that they spent in the club that evening was a lifetime of torture to muriel she had faced a charging tiger with less dread than she did the crowd at the tea-tables in the rink she fancied that every woman who looked at her was laughing in her sleeve at her that every man who bowed or spoke to her was pitying her suddenly her heart seemed to stop beating for she saw frank sitting with mrs norton and two other ladies her calcutta cousins as well as a couple of men in the british infantry regiment at lebong they were looking at her and she felt that violet was pointing her out as the deserted maiden she tried to smile bravely when her rival waved her hand and called out a cheery good evening to her and noreen who answered the greeting with an almost defiant air of unconcern for days afterwards she saw practically nothing of wargrave who was obliged to be in constant attendance on mrs norton violet had induced the manager of the hotel to find a room for him and he was forced to transfer himself and his belongings to the eastern palace she monopolized him insisted on his taking her shopping in the mornings calling in the afternoons or to lebong to watch the polo or else playing tennis with her at the amusement club he dined with her every evening and escorted her to the dances concerts or theatricals that filled the nights during the season he hardly recognized her in the gay social butterfly with seemingly never a care in the world and she made him wonder every day if she had any love left for him or wanted him to have any for her for she showed no desire to be sentimental and treated him very much as she had in the early days of their acquaintance she never discussed their future he had not the moral courage to ask her outright if she still wanted to come to him 
she gave no indication of being happy only in his company for she soon began to release him from attendance on her occasions in favor of some one or another of the new men friends that she rapidly made he took advantage of this to see something of muriel again but this did not suit mrs norton even if she did not want frank herself that was no reason why the girl should have him she tried being jealous and insisted on his breaking off the friendship but although he hated the scenes that ensued he resolutely refused to do so then violet adopted another plan she pretended to be convinced by his assurances that it meant nothing and declared that she wished to be friends with muriel she went out of her way to be nice to the girl when they met in public and at last invited her to tea at the eastern palace hotel on an afternoon on which she knew mrs dermot to be engaged muriel accepted because she did not know very well how to refuse when she was shown into mrs norton's private sitting-room she found wargrave already there with her hostess who received her very amiably during tea the conversation flowed in safe channels at first but suddenly violet startled her guest by saying now miss benson that we three are alone i think it a good opportunity to speak very plainly about frank's relations with you i've just been giving him a serious talking to about the way he has behaved to you the girl drew herself up hotly what do you mean mrs norton she said the way mr wargrave has behaved i don't understand you oh yes you do it's best to speak plainly i'm afraid frank has been leading you to believe that he's in love with you violet broke in wargrave angrily please don't go on you've no right to say such things she smiled sweetly on him yes i have frank you know my dear boy that you've got pretty ways with women i fear he's rather a flirt miss benson that you are apt to make some of them think you mean more than you do what absurd nonsense he cried more angrily still please stop i beg of you no frank it is only right that i should warn miss benson she turned to the girl he hasn't told you i'm sure that he's not free to marry you or any other girl wargrave sprang up i've told her everything about us violet he protested i ask you as a favor to drop the subject the girl sat as if turned to stone while mrs norton went on you are young my dear and can't know much about men i suppose you lived in the jungle all your life now a little bird has told me that you've let yourself get too fond of frank oh he's very charming i know and this playing at nursing a poor wounded hero is a dangerous game 
but i'm going to tell you plainly that frank is pledged to me he has asked me to leave my husband for him and i've consented so there's no use you're trying to catch him my dear you're too late the girl sprang indignantly to her feet i've done nothing of the sort mrs norton how dare you say so you've no right to speak to me as you're doing the older woman sat back coolly in her chair and laughed but her eyes grew hard oh yes i have my dear girl you too were the talk of darjeeling before i came of course you're angry naturally at failing to catch him but i'm going to put a stop to your trying here and now he has got to break with you you are a wicked woman began the girl and then indignation choked her mrs norton leant forward in her chair can you deny that you're in love with him she asked wargrave tried to interpose but the girl waved him aside and faced her rival i'll answer you i am i love him as you could never do i was willing to give him up to you for he loves me not you so that he should not be false to his word i didn't know what you were like then but now i don't believe you've ever made him happy you don't love him you haven't got it in you you wouldn't be content with any one man i've watched you you're absolutely heartless and you'd only make frank miserable you're willing to disgrace him as well as yourself you don't mind if you ruin him frank she turned to wargrave you said you loved me is it true he answered firmly yes i do then will you marry me this woman will only wreck your life choose between us he turned in desperation to mrs norton violet you don't really want me do you you don't love me i felt for a long time that you're forgetting me i love muriel and she loves me if you ever cared for me release me from my promise mrs norton lay back calmly in her chair and looked with a smile from one to the other then she said deliberately this morning i wrote my husband and told him that i was never returning to him that i was going to you frank that is why i asked this girl here today to tell you before her that now i'm going to ask you to keep your promise will you the girl looked at him appealingly and stretched out her hands to him frank for your own sake if not for mine don't listen to her he stood irresolute torn by conflicting emotions then with an effort he replied muriel i must i can't break my word mrs norton gave a mocking laugh the girl shrank from him and hid her face in her hands for a moment then she looked up and said desperately calm very well be it so you've decided and there's nothing more to be said you've shamed me before this woman and i never want to see you again 
she turned and walked out of the room end of chapter 12 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc